Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode five of our podcast. Today, we will hear from Aaron Carson of EC Fit about the importance of strength training for the older endurance athlete who wants to be faster, stronger, better, and look better in the mirror. We'll hear about how to get stronger on the bike simply by addressing the body parts that get weak and stiff sitting behind a desk. And we'll also hear about the use of strength training to look, feel, and be stronger. Aaron is a highly respected strength coach who works with many well-known elite and professional athletes, triathletes and cyclists included. And she is a highly competitive triathlete in her own right. You'll be glad you tuned in to hear her advice tailored to the older endurance athlete. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you for joining us on the Wise Athletes Podcast. You know, as you may know, we work to provide older athletes information that they need to be strong and healthy throughout the second half of life. Your background in athletics and in strength training is perfect for us and our audience. My own perspective is that I want to continue getting better, faster, stronger, but I'm not looking to maximize my athletic potential. I just want to do sport for the fun of it. But for me, having fun means being good and strong. Yeah, I'm aligned with that. Great. Uh, So why don't we kick off by you giving us a little bit of a overview, uh, you know, on your background, you know, as an athlete, you're a triathlete. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a triathlete now. You know, I started out as a basketball player and that was kind of my, my, um, my foundation of athleticism and what I was really good at. And so I played for the Canadian national team, a couple of world championships there um, on an Olympic team, part of uh, the university of Colorado for four years and, and then went into college coaching. And that's where kind of my leadership um, and my coaching communication skills and kind of where I started to formulate leadership ability was through coaching college basketball at both Tulane University and at the University of Nebraska. And then my work ethic can be my greatest um, strength and my biggest weakness. And I worked myself into a little bit of uh, stress-related illnesses and I had to take some time off. And so I came home to Boulder, Colorado, and I started working uh, at a health club. And I was just in between jobs as far as I was concerned. I wasn't going to uh, really set roots back in Boulder. I was going to get back into the college coaching. And what happened was, you know, Boulder is such a unique community. And when you start to get a hold of human beings, whether they're world-class athletes or whether we're just world-class, like you're from, you've spent enough time in Boulder, um, they're high achieving humans. And I got the chance to work one-on-one with some high achieving humans who weren't going to go to the Olympics and they weren't going to you know, win any races, but they cared how they did. And I really started falling in love with, with doing that. And when you're a college basketball coach, just starting out usually, and especially if you're a female, your job is to do everything but coach college basketball. (laughs) So my role was to help prepare the athletes in the weight room and also on the track and through their conditioning. Uh, And I really just fell in love with taking care of the athlete, the physical performance. Um, And so I stayed in Boulder, had access to some of the top athletes in the world, and they started to like the way that I envisioned strength and conditioning. And I just have built a pretty strong resume of achievement, performance, um, and, and I just never left. And so it's been about 20, 25 years here later. I'm still working at the same health club. I actually own it now. And, um, And yeah, I'm so passionate about helping people. Fabulous. Well, sounds like uh, an amazing story. I I knew some of that, uh, but I didn't know all (laughs) of it. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, I I wonder if maybe we could start with you just sharing some, you know, whatever's off the top of your mind, just uh, tips for the older athlete uh, on how they can use an endurance athlete probably is really more to the point uh, of the people that... uh, you know, we we provide information to, and and that's also what I am and Glenn um, is as well. But how can they use strength training to do two things? One is to be better at their sport, but also healthier for the long term. You know, we, we kind of 
throw around the, the phrase athletic longevity. And the idea is we want to, we don't just want to live a long time or even be healthy for a long time. We want to be athletic for a long time. So all of those things are necessary. How do you yeah. think strength training fits into that? Massively. So I have a hashtag that I use a lot on social media called healthy before fit. And this is true of all athletes. I think we're going to talk, we're speaking to an audience of, of older athletes and we all fall into that category. We're over 40 and we want to compete, not just complete. You know, I'm not, I've never been that human because I'm competitive and I want to compete. And it's beautiful that they uh, put our age categories in there. And I always look two, two age categories lower than me. So I'll look at my own age category. I expect to be in the top five, no matter what I'm doing in my age category. But I also expect to be in the top 10 of the age categories below me, at least by 10 years. So that's always kind of my measuring stick. And unless I'm taking care of myself from a health perspective, um, I'm not going to achieve those, those measurement tools. Like that's just who I have been as an athlete my whole life. So those are my measuring sticks. How strength training plays into it, we all know that over time, in our 20s, we're probably at our, at our absolute physical peak, but we're not mentally as strong and wise as we could be. And then we get into our 30s, and that's where we don't want to waste time. We need to acquire all of the skills necessary, and we also want to continue to build up our conditioning, but at the same time, we can kind of get away with things. So I have a lot of athletes that I'm like, you don't even really need me right now. I will help you move better, but I don't even really think you need time in the strength uh, in the in the weight room. You don't need to because you're achieving, you're progressing, you're healthy. And those are the three main things to look at. Um, so then we get up into the 40s. By the time we're in our 40s, we're starting to have some of these physical changes and these physiological changes happen. If you're a female, perimenopause is the real deal, your hormones start getting really fluctuating, fluctuating, and that's not a good thing to experience. Um, if you're a guy, you're starting to start to measure yourself against the 30-year-olds. You don't want to be 50. It's a big deal. Your hormones are starting to change as well. Most people, like we're kind of talking on a bell curve. There's always going to be these outliers one way or the other hormonally, but for the most part, we want to get you screaming strong before you hit 50, or at least having an understanding and a love for the weight room, because we can actually flip our physiology on its head and put ourselves into a younger category physiologically, not maybe chronologically, by lifting heavy weights and having good skill and good balance associated with the training programs for either our swimming program, our cycling program, or our running program or if we're triathletes, all of those. So we need to have a program that, that works together with our sport performance program, because that's typically what we come to the table loving the most. Don't ever want to not be able to ride my bike with my friends. That's a really, really important thing to all of us. I was uh, recording a podcast the other day, and I, of course, I can see you and I can see myself online, and I wasn't wearing a jacket at that time. And I noticed how flabby my arms had become. Uh, and I thought, oh <laughs> my God. Yep. So uh, I need some work. Um, anyway, back to the topic here. The uh, What would you say would be like the 80-20 the rule for strength training for endurance athletes? The, the most important few things that they could do to get the biggest bang for their time? The biggest bang for their time, first and foremost, is going to be their posture. So measurement of posture. So if you're around six feet tall, or if you're taller, you better have a rock solid plan around maintaining the integrity of your spine, your head position, your pelvic position, and your posture. And, you know, everybody loves to talk about core strength, hashtag core, my core. Well, a lot of crunches and core programs, they're not even going to help with posture. So we need to look at the expansion of the rib cage for an athlete, a performance-based person. I'm a, I don't care if I'm 80 or 90, I'm going to be a performance-based person. And that's who most of our, our clients are going to be. The biggest thing for me is really going to be 
getting that postural integrity and a good program around uh, keeping the rib cage expanding and moving, uh, around keeping the pelvis mobile, the hips mobile, um, as well as the ankles. That's kind of a tertiary thing for me. It's it, the ankles and the feet have to be super healthy and move and move well. The hips have to be super well healthy and move well. And the thoracic spine has to be healthy and move well. And, you know, you, all you have to do is go down to the local coffee shop and look at the old guys uh, cycling group. And I just want to take every single one of them, grab their shoulders, pull them back, put their arms over their head and, and make sure that they can stand tall. So the, the foundation of all of my programming objectives with every athlete is going to be posture. That makes perfectly good sense. I, you can always see the athletes from a distance. Um, and we're not talking about the big legs. We're talking about the rolled forward shoulders, the hunched over back. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, what would you say in your experience are the biggest mistakes or, or maybe the most common mistakes that people make related to strength training? And I suppose that could include not doing strength training. Well, it, it, it's overwhelming for people. You know, I, I talked to a lot of people. I created an online uh, app that's very accessible for athletes. Um, the beauty for me is I am a very entertaining person, but my programs are very boring. And that plays very well with performance-oriented athletes because if you want to be entertained by the gym routine, you should go to Beachbody or, you know, something that's entertaining and it's fitness-based or and it's exercise-based. My programs are performance-based. So they don't need to be an hour long. Most of us who are very fit on our bicycles or we climb mountains or we ski or we run, we have strength. We have to organize it and we have to do things that it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It should be relatively simple. It should be accessible and duplicatable. And we just, I mean, I have, we all have our favorite bike rides, right? How many times do you think, Joe, that you've been to Jamestown? Oh my. Hundreds, yeah, a lot right? Of times. I'm a fairly un, unadventurous person when it comes to bike rides. I just do the same ones again and again and again. <laughs> yeah, it's, I do, I, I think most of the us, we don't mind it, right? We see the value, we see the beauty. It's, it's not complicated and it doesn't overwhelm us. And so when it comes to strength training, if we get the right stuff and we start to feel the benefit right away, like get the buy-in, my, my first goal with any athlete of any age is to get the buy-in after one or two sessions. So I can make immediate physiological change just by opening up the front side of the hips. I can make immediate physiological change by opening up and stretching um, the upper part of the chest so that I can strengthen the upper back. And usually people feel immediate change. They just feel better. And if we can establish that feeling early in the process, it's very easy to get them to come back over and over again and say, you know what, I did this thing for 20 minutes and it, and my ride was better. And especially those of us that have power meters, because you know what 200 watts feels like. And if I can somehow give you access to what you already have, you're already strong enough, you're going to go hit those 200 watts and it feels way easier because your hips are moving better. You're going to come back for more. And that's my biggest uh, objective, early buy-in, immediate physiological change, and then have some kind of measurement tool that allows that person to recognize um, how much better it is. Well, so that's a bit eye-opening for me. Uh, in that statement, you're not talking about getting stronger by lifting heavy weights. You're talking about just unscrewing up your body to let yes. the power out that you already have. That is step one, a hundred percent. And those things, because we sit in chairs, because we ride our bikes, because we travel on airplanes, maybe someday, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that if opening up the front side of the hips and mobilizing, expanding the rib cage, if we can just get those two things done for a cyclist, um, it's, it's a no brainer. They'll breathe better. They'll oxygenate their muscle better. They'll 
they'll feel better at 200 watts or 300 watts. But once you start feeling better at 200 watts, because we do want to compete, not complete, you're going to go for 250 or you're going to go for 300 or you're going to try and get to the front of the pack instead of sitting in the back of the pack. Like it's amazing how, when you start to realize how strong you already are, you want to get stronger. And that's where that next phase comes in. There's hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes hope is where it starts. Um, you bet. I wonder if um, we could dive into some details now, you know, because presumably at some point you've gotten their bodies working a little better. Yep. They're now wanting to get stronger because they feel good. Uh, yep. They're they're happier with the strength improvements you gave them that didn't involve strengthening their muscles. Yep. And now they want to strengthen their muscles. So yes. how do how you know? Let's talk about a cyclist, which is what I can identify with the most. Um, but really any endurance athlete, one of the problems that they have is that they have to work out a lot in order to get better at their sport. You know, at least they think so. At least I think so. Yeah. Um, so they're, you know, the, the workouts that they have to do and then the recovery, of course, that they have to also fit into that. They're yep. pretty busy with what, you know, with a full life already. So yep. how do they fit strength training into a schedule like that? Well, there's no, there's no doubt that time is our greatest asset, right? So we have to make the most of the time that we have there. I have uh, some very high performing world champion triathletes who are in their prime in their thirties who have absolutely said it is more beneficial for me to be in the weight room for 30 minutes at this point in my career than it is to be out in zone two for another 30 minutes. So it is about establishing that little bit of prioritization and recognition that once we have, like as it's the beautiful thing about being a mature athlete, you have a lot in the tank as far as endurance goes. Your opportunity, I mean, Joe Friel is probably one of the smartest guys I follow um, when it comes to older athletes. We need to be able to go out and hit those higher intensities and we are decreasing our volume. And that is a, a very, very smart, and we don't have a lot of science to back that up right now. There's some coming for sure. There's lots of research being done on older athletes, but we're pretty darn sure that less volume and more intensity is going to help us. And I can make a pretty strong case for the weight room just from the outcomes, just for how people feel, even just about how they um, they don't look at their arms and and see saggy arms, they see muscle. Like we can, we can develop muscle into our nineties. So if we're still in our fifties and maybe early sixties or even late sixties, there is a lot of physical change that can happen just from having a really well-structured safe routine. And it takes time like anything. You don't just go out and race a criterium on day one. You know, you start in zone two and zone one and you ride and then you sometimes you have to coast and sometimes you you don't you know, you don't crush it every single time. But there's there's a there's a commitment to a lifetime of strength training. And we we need to supply those kinds of tools that say I could do this for a lot of years. You know, having things in our home, um, investing every single time I buy something like a bike and your audience would probably be like, yeah, I buy bikes. Like I'm going to buy a bike and it's going to be a healthcare expense. Like, well, buy some kettlebells and let's get it in it. Not saying go do a bunch of kettlebell swings because that is a very advanced move, but having some load in the house, external load, a little bit of a couple of dumbbells, a couple of kettlebells. I, I use a tool called a Viper um, a lot with my endurance athletes, um, having some stuff at the house is really important so that on a Sunday you can, you can rip out 20 minutes of strength work or first thing in the morning before yep. you run off to work. Heck yeah. It's, it's about, that's the differentiation of the people who want to compete. They make time, they're disciplined. They have these kinds of human qualities that has gotten them to this point of life where they can actually really aspire to have a great second half of their life. Super healthy. Like you and I talked about that, Joe. I mean, like there's some people that have just kind of like, oh, finally I can retire and sit in the chair and, and watch uh, Judge Judy for the next three years. You know, that's not who we're talking. That's not who's listening to your podcast. Yeah. These people are like, I've worked my ass off my whole life. Now I want to buy a Pinarello 
and I want to go to Italy and ride my bike and I want my wife to come with me and I want us to have a great relationship. And I, you know, all of these, these is, this is who's listening to this podcast. And those are the people that are going to be, you know what, it's worth 20 to 30 minutes, four times a week. Or if you love it, you know, we'll build you a program that, that is 15 minutes, five times a week, or maybe it's whatever, you know, it's customization to, to who you want to be and where you want to go. That sounds promising. Uh, let me ask you about uh, injuries. I, I probably lifted weights more of my life than I cycled. And one of the things that always went through my mind, I, at this point, I'll, I'll say uh, proudly that I was always very cautious of damaging myself in some permanent way that was going to then cost me my athletic ability for the rest of my life, a disc in my back or you know, a blown out knee or, or yep. something like that. One of the places where that was highlighted in in my you know fear was in the gym with a big rack of weights, and I'm going to put that on my shoulders. What what are your thoughts about avoiding injuries? I think that you the what you just described is what most people describe uh, visualize as strength training, and even when you go to some of the most popular websites or anything. You know, you go, you, if you, even if you go on training peaks and you look at, oh, here's the strength section and they're going to show you a picture of a cyclist doing a straight bar deadlift. That is a very, very dangerous exercise. And it comes with high reward. It's high risk because it's high reward. Olympic lifting started coming into endurance sports about 10 years ago. And everybody started saying, oh, you should deadlift. You should deadlift. It makes incredible uh, cyclists. And I can, I can beg to differ on that hardcore. Like that's not what you should be doing. Um, it's, there is a journey. Um, we have learned so much about the delicate body types, the inherent tightnesses in the body that comes from endurance sports that would dictate very, very few athletes should ever put that bar on their back. We talk about that kyphosis, that little bit of roundedness that comes in your upper back, that kind of crappy postural position, you now put a load that on your back and try and do a back squat with heavy weight. It's not a good decision. So I will always front squat my athletes. It's You can do a lot less weight, but it is way higher effective, way less risky. And, and you don't need to build, and this is going to sound horrible because my whole job is to, to build strength in people. It, you don't need that much more strength. Like if you, you just don't need to want to lose any and, and you want to lose it at a slower rate. And then when you become posturally extremely strong, your hips are really mobile, then we can explore maybe some of the Olympic lifts are perfect for you at that point. But it might take us a year to get your body in the position to go under heavy load. It's always my goal, but it takes time. And to give you a really live uh, example, Timothy O'Donnell currently holds the record for the fastest man in Kona. He went sub eight hours, came second to Jan Ferdano last year, 2019. He turned 40 this year in 2020. It took me a year and a half to put him under heavy load. He won a tremendous amount of races that first year, even though we didn't lift heavy weight. And he did that because we got his posture better. We got his coordination better. We opened his hips and we could access the glutes. And you kind of danced around this um, cycling thing versus runners and stuff a little bit ago. And I want to go back to it really quick because the quad dominance, that front, that big group of muscles on the front of our legs, that is is a very, very dominant muscle group. And that first step is to unload and unburden the quad, the group of quadriceps, and start to be able to access the glutes, the backside of the body, as well as strengthen the hamstrings to work in conjunction with quads. So that first couple of months of finding that balance in the lower body is really, really massively important and also hugely impactful when it comes to riding a bike. And it's also really impactful for running because the quads can become very dominant with runners as well. So that is, is like a little key, a little golden key. And, and people want that key. 
because you don't need to do much. And if, especially some of those genetically gifted athletes that are just a little bit older, we can just hand them that golden key of how to maintain balance in their body. They don't even really need to build much strength. They just need to maintain balance and don't get into that big anterior tilt of the pelvis and get into that locked up hips position and get into the locked up uh, kyphotic uh, thoracic spine position. They don't want to get, if we can get them out of that, they're just going to feel so much better. They feel 10 years younger immediately. And they might look better in the mirror too. 100%. Right. Now with uh, cyclists and with every endurance athlete, one of the things that they worry about, what I worry about is my weight. And Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons that I stopped lifting to admit a mistake was because I felt like I carried too much weight in my upper body for a cyclist. And I was already heavy, you know, compared to everybody I was racing against. And I thought, well, save myself a little time and lose a little weight while I'm at it. Hey, this is a win-win. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure it really worked out that way, Mr. Flabby Arms here. Um, <laughs> but surely there are ways that people can get stronger if that's what they want yep. without having to put on weight. True. And once you start building some – so there's acute training variables that go with different um, cellular responses to the load, right? So if we – if we put you into a specific muscle hypertrophy program and you're over 50, which means muscle hypertrophy, we're trying to build muscle fiber, increase the cross-section fiber. Um, we're going to pick a certain exercise, a certain amount of load and ask you to be under tension for a certain amount of time. If you're over 50, I am absolutely going to try and convince you to do some of that throughout the year. So we might cycle in and out of a muscle hypertrophy program just because we know that age is trying to make us lose muscle. So we need to gain muscle. I would be more afraid of losing muscle than I would be about gaining weight because it's really easy for it to all come back and decrease in size just by stopping the program and putting you into a strength program which is now even heavier weight, but only doing four or five repetitions. So the acute training variables are a little bit different for strength program. You're going to get stronger in a hypertrophy program, but you won't gain size just maintaining strength. And as you come into your in-season, when it really matters, when watts per kilogram really matters or speed really matters when you're running, All you have to do is stop doing some of these heavier loads at eight to 12 repetitions and you'll just decrease in size a little bit. Now, most of my athletes, quite frankly, they perform better with more muscle and they feel better. They repair better. They're healthier. Um, I think looking at our current group of athletes in the Tour de France will tell you that that really skinny athlete isn't as prominent in the Peloton anymore. So it makes me wonder a little bit about, you know, just timing, maybe a little bit of doping in the old days and where they carried things. But anymore, you look at, I mean, I, I, I am the strength coach to Tom's squeens on Trek Segafredo. That kid is not a skinny cyclist. Now, when he's on a tour, there's no doubt he is much smaller. He probably drops, I don't know, you have to ask him, but probably eight pounds of muscle just by not lifting weights and riding his bike so much. Um, Same thing with Ruth, Ruth Winder, national road race champion. She also is very, very strong, but she's so tiny and she needs that durability. Um, You know, maybe the word durability is what we're looking for. Like, will one crash put you down the rest of your life or can you crash and then respond and recover? Healthy people who lift weights, they're constantly used to recovering their tissue is used to recovering. Their systems are used to recovering. So when they crash, they come back faster. So that's another kind of piece of the equation. You don't want to, you know, fall down and you're done because you don't know how to recover. Uh, one thing I've always uh, noticed in my own life as a uh, in, in building muscle, and you touched on it a little bit, I think, and so I wanted to confirm this, is that it always felt like it was easier to rebuild muscle I had lost than to build muscle for the first time. And I wonder if what you're implying, or maybe you're just, you're trying to say it directly is that whatever your age is, 
now is going to be the easiest time to build muscle than 10 years from now. So go ahead and build it. And then you can get it back if you you know lose it after that. Yeah, because weightlifting, just like any sport, it's a skill. You don't need to become an Olympic weightlifter. You don't need to do ever do a straight bar deadlift. It's a like I said, it's a very dangerous exercise. You don't ever need to back squat. It's a very dangerous exercise. But you need to maintain and build lower body strength. You need to have exceptional posture and you need to build upper body strength. And if you want to, I mean, I think you and I spoke about this the other day. I mean, I, I've had a few guys come to me and say, I want to be better runner. And I go, okay. And then we got them progressing in their running journey. They started getting faster again. They maintained uh, injury free. They were feeling amazing. And they go, okay, now, and they very quietly say, um, how about a little bit of chest muscle? Do you think <laughs> we can put some chest? And so I'm like, heck yeah. And with athletes, and men, especially like women, we have it a little bit differently because we're hormonally so different. But with men, I can put together a program for three weeks and a guy will just feel macho. Like he just feels like a man and it's awesome. And then I'm like, okay, so you're in your running now. We, if we want to get faster, we got to stop that program. And they're like, oh, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> they just <laughs> like it, you know? So so there, you find this beautiful, like we're all different. We all have different genetics. We're going to respond differently to the, to, the, uh, to the program or your program. But the bottom line is you, you are empowered to, to do whatever you want with your lifting program once you get going with it and you have the right information. And you, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty conservative strength coach because I never want my product to get in the way of swim, bike, or run. So I'm kind of, I've always seen myself as a supporting cast and, and that's probably never going to change. So I have a couple of other topics that I'd like you to weigh in on, uh, things that I've heard about, you know, over the years and, and I've never done them myself. So I don't even really know, uh, about them, but they sounded interesting. One was, uh, slow movement based strength training. And I think the, the implication was that it was safer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you say functional? No slow movement. Slow. Oh. <laughs> you know, I think that if you don't want to perform, that that is really true. The science is there that super slow training will build strength and it will build some muscle fiber. And it definitely shows neurological control at a very slow speed. And if that's who you want to be, <laughs> then, <laughs> then that will work. Like I, it's funny because when I see people doing that in the gym, I'm like, okay, I get it. They watched that show and, uh, and the, or they read that book. But when it comes to performance, you have to train the way you want to perform. It, it's just true. I mean, we're losing uh, fast twitch muscle fiber. So why would I adhere to a slow training program, but it, it will work. And it shows you, you know, it's kind of like ticking boxes. If you go really fast, you might miss one or two boxes, but if you go really slow, you can take every single box. So it's not a bad strategy. Um, but if you want to be a high performance, older masters athlete, um, you might take that as a small phase of training, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, just to make sure you're ticking as many boxes as you can. But uh, I, I, I will be always hard pressed to say anything bad about any technique about that's trying to do good. It's just that that won't work when you're trying to pass your wife going to Jamestown. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, now you've put your finger right on it. So, uh, okay, let's move to the next one then. Yeah. Uh, blood flow restriction. Oh. You know, I'm just starting to really dig into that. And there's a lot of really exciting uh, research on that. So I can't comment, it from, com comment on it from an expert standpoint because I won't put something I, – I don't use my athletes uh, to experiment on. I want to learn as much as I can about it. Um, but it's interesting enough to me that I am digging into it. I think there is a lot of good science coming out of uh, blood flow restriction training. Okay. Well, and what so, little I've heard of it is, I mean, people rave about it. The yeah. people who use it, they rave about it. But I've also read that it can lead to injury oh, more it, easily. 
it's high risk, high reward. I don't think it's as risky as I used to think it was. It's worth exploring with somebody who really knows their shit. Yeah. Well, and probably in the gym, there's a lot to be said for knowing what you're doing. Yes. And, and in anything, like nobody should start wrapping up their knees and start doing back squats and then jump on their back on their bike. Right. I mean, it's, there is, there is lots of good information out there. It is an extreme technique and it should be only um, jumped on or, or experienced with a really, really good professional who's done a lot of it. So, you know, to the audience, you guys push your strength coach, push your personal trainer, ask them tons and tons of questions. Just don't think they know what they're doing just because they look a certain way. Um, like ask to look at their credentials, ask about their experience, ask about, ask for some referrals from, from current athletes and, and really hold us accountable, um, to be professionals. We need to be, we need to be able to come to the table with a really high quality product. Good advice. Plyometrics. Yay. You know, they all have a time and a place. I plyometrics is all about load and explode. So, you know, box jumps are not plyometrics. That's a powerful uh, power development tool. People enjoy doing them. Um, I have had an online training platform for five years, and I probably have two plyometric uh, training sessions available to the general population because, again, it's about measuring risk and reward. And what you're asking your tissue to do in a plyometric exercise is pretty intense. And, you know, you don't want to get hurt in the gym. You want to move fast. So I, I would use agility drills, um, agility with the ladder. Can you move quickly before you start adding a lot of load into the tissue? Um, if you're a runner, it's probably more important for you to do plyometric training than it is for cyclists. Um, because there's not a lot of landings in cycle. You want to be able to be very powerful. You want to be very quick. Um, so with cyclists, I would probably go more towards strength and agility than I would towards plyometric training. But with runners who want to run fast, I will do definite pure plyometric training. So it's all about how quickly you can load tissue and then get out of it. There's a little phase in there called the amortization phase, and you want that to be as quick as possible. So that's a lot of brain training more than strength. Okay. Uh, neuromuscular type yes. work, you know, recruitment, fiber recruitment. Yeah type thing not okay. even fiber it's it's very connective tissue ah. and since most of us have uh dehydrated tissue that we struggle to stay hydrated all the time so you're looking at a, a rubber band that is beautifully hydrated it's just going to go wah 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 those those kind of tissues those young 30 somethings and 20 year olds yeah tons of plyometrics they can handle it you start getting into a 50 year old a piece of connective tissue it's not looking like that and it's got it's a little bit more brittle and it's a little bit more injury prone so you have to be really careful got you uh so the last one that i had on my list and you may have some to add to it is the you know people worry about doms you know muscle you know that horrible muscle soreness yeah. and i've had it many times in my life it i mean yeah. it, it's debilitating yeah. you know you regret that you overdid it and and i and i guess at this point people think maybe you know that it's the eccentric part of the exercise you know like running downhill or or the you know the the lengthening of the muscle under load that is what's causing the doms is that is that true yeah it's just too much load i mean i have a rule i mean you can see i have a good friend named taryn and i love taryn but what taryn's favorite exercise is a hex bar deadlift where he lifts it up and drops it and it's just like, why are you dropping it? And he's like, because I don't want doms. And I'm like, well, then you shouldn't lift so much. Because if you can't lower it, you shouldn't lift it. In my world, that's a rule. So I, I also have a machine called a K-Box that, that I purposely bought for my track cyclists and for my, for my runners. And once we have tissue, a certain level of tissue conditioning, the K-Box actually pulls you down. It loads you eccentrically on purpose with inertia. And it is, it is brutal. But once your tissue is ready for that kind of training, the upside is massive. 
What so, is that upside? The upside is just durability, pedaling economy, running economy, and just overall resiliency as an athlete. Like that final three miles of a marathon, you're dealing with lactate at a way better uh, capacity than, than people that haven't done it. Period. It's it's just a, your ability to outlast, outwit, outplay, like survivor. That's the that's what we want. So a stronger athlete who has been patient in a process, psych, used a pure period periodized model to in strength training, um, is going to outlast and not get injured and be able to do this thing for a lifetime. So you know, people sometimes will come to me and they're like, Aaron, your programs are too easy. And I'm like, they're only easy for a couple of weeks. Pay, pay it, just stay with me and, and go on this journey with me. And people send me texts and they're like, I just did my FTP test. I would have never thought I would have done better based on what I've been doing. Like, it seems so much easier. So it, it doesn't seem hard enough to get me these outcomes. And I will tell you, your body is brilliant. It is stronger than you think. Find balance in it. And just find some joy in the process. Just like you find joy getting on your bicycle, find some joy lifting some weights, find some joy standing and pressing something overhead in a really healthy way. And then all of a sudden, this journey gets so exciting and, and it's resilient. It makes you durable. It make, it, it, you're sprinting uh, you know, towards Amante, your first one in to buy the coffee. I mean, it's, it's awesome. So that that is really what we're talking about. And DOMS and being sore is a big mistake by the strength coach or the trainer. You know, people have this horrible um, queer need for pain it, to, to validate their time in the gym. And I would say they are not my audience. Those aren't people that I want to train because you shouldn't, you shouldn't be sore. It's a mistake. You overdid it. Um, you can't solve six years of not lifting weights in six weeks, you know? So I'm, I'm really proud of the journey that I have with my athletes. I've built trust with them. They know that if they are sore, it's not, it's minimal and it's, yeah, I, I'm not perfect. I cross the line every now and then because I get excited. If somebody's good at something, I want to see them be successful, but it doesn't happen very often and the soreness goes away very quickly, not to this point where you're, I've, I've had that as well. I never want to do that to anybody. Yeah. Well, that sounds very wise. Uh, in fact, where I was going was to ask you about recovery. But before I do that, you reminded me that uh, this whole idea of progressive overload, uh, which Glenn and I have spoken about on our podcast uh, a few times, yeah. is is what you're talking about. And And if you go too far in a step. Now you've set yourself back so far, you're going to lose all the gains that you made. So you got to take little steps ahead so that you can recover fast enough so that you can do it again really quickly and keep going higher and higher. Well, and if I can just say that, I, I think early in the podcast, we were chatting a little bit about my role as a strength coach or anyone who takes on that role. We are secondary to the sport. So the progressive overload has to come from the sport coach. I I will I have not gained the respect and um, relationships with coaches because I have inhibited their ability to push their athletes. So when you go out to do those key sessions on your bike, and if you've been in the gym the day before, my job the day before is to set you up for success for that key session on the bike, not put you under a bunch of load. So the biggest thing is you there is no correlation between how much you can deadlift and how fast you are. It's just not true. So you don't need to lift heavier weights to be the fastest guy or girl in the Peloton. We need you. You're just fast. So chances are it came in your bike session, in your bike training program. If you have a good cycling coach, you are going to continue to progress in cycling. The, the strength program is built to, to support that performance goal. To make you durable, resilient. Yes. And there are times when it's just like, I'm in the strength coach, they want to come in and lift. And I'm like, no, take the week off out of the gym, just focus on the bike. Like that's, that's just true. So. Well, great. Well, so let's do talk about recovery. When Glenn and I have had it, we had a podcast recently where we talked about recovery and, and we talked to, 
you know, the first two topics were, well, how to need less recovery. And then the other one was how to make your body good at recovery. And then, and then we finally got into the, well, what are the tricks and stuff you do afterward? <laughs> but when people ask you about recovery, what do you say? Well, it's a pre-covery situation for me. Like there's pre, it's what you do before you get on the bike that will set you up for success when you get off the bike. It's what you do before you go for a run. Um, so you definitely want to have the foam rolling in, in play. Um, get up while you're having your coffee and having your breakfast. You don't need to spend an hour foam rolling. It literally is five to seven minutes to just give the tissue the chance to get long and get warmed up um, before you get going. But recovery is part of the process of strength and conditioning in my world as well. So my biggest thing is um, foundation training is a big part of a tool that I use with all my athletes. Foundation training is about elongating and lengthening and expanding the rib cage. Um, great postural stature and just the understanding of how your lats engage with your hips. Um, so I use a lot of foundation training. Any cyclist that I work with um, is going to going to be very good and understand foundation training movement is better than saying sitting on the couch movement is medicine hydration is huge tissue care is huge um you can you'll recover faster if you are strength training you will just you're because your tissue is used to rebuilding itself um the other big exciting there's so many little things that we can get with the normatech recovery boots with the all of the percussion tools available to us it's just a matter of making time and and you know when I get involved with somebody's training peaks account or their their calendar, I'm going to put it on the calendar recovery session, and if it's on the calendar, people are more likely to do it. Um, and I have a lot of uh, I, I know that we're going to wrap this up shortly, but on my app, I have a lot of recovery sessions that are completely um, focused on. Uh, resetting the nervous system, resetting the fascial system, resetting the movement profile so that you can come back and ride hard day after day after day after day. Like you don't want to miss days. So uh, I just have one last question for you. Um, and, it, and it's a bit open-ended, so you can say what you want here. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the older athlete here. So the horizon here could be 50 years. It, it could, you know, very long. Uh, I'm not trying to maximize my performance in six months. I want to stay healthy for a very long time. And yes, being athletic is a part of a good life. And I want that too. You know, so in that context, what advice do you have for the older athlete, you know, things that they, they should do or things that they shouldn't do to maximize their chance of succeeding at that? Well, let's spend a little bit of money. So the first thing we're going to do is buy uh, an aura ring, O-U-R-A, an aura ring, which is a ring that goes, you can take the place of your wedding ring. If your wife hates that or your husband hates that, then put it on another finger. But what it's going to measure is all your health data. And it's the best available tool that I am aware of to measure heart rate variability. And that's our true measure of recovery and how we are when we wake up in the morning. So there's lots of different ways to measure heart rate variability. And I can refer you to two or three super smart people that are way smarter than me who can dig into heart rate variability, but knowing which day you should train hard and knowing which days you should train easy, knowing your sleep quality, because all your reparation is being done when you sleep. And the crappy thing is about getting older, whether you're male or female, is your sleep gets worse. So we have to strategize and have amazing um, tools around our sleep and our sleep care and our rest better sheets, darker room, colder room, better, better everything. Like we need to take care of that, that rest and recovery kind of situation. Um, so the aura ring and the heart rate variability is a very cool thing. The other good one that's pretty popular right now is the whoop band. My only pushback on that, and it does have a very good measurability. I just don't like the $40 a month. So it's, that's, uh, that's my pushback on that. The, the second thing is to definitely have some stuff at your house. Um, to have a couple of kettlebells, a couple of dumbbells, not having to go to the gym all the time. And through this period of COVID, I think lots of people are setting themselves up at their homes in a really good way. And I'm happy to provide some leadership and guidance around what you actually need. You don't need an entire room dedicated to be your home gym. If you can, great, but most people over-purchase what they need for their home gym. 
Um, I do think it's one of those exciting things, the Viper training, the movement training, low risk, high reward is, is possible at home. Um, I've built an online platform to people can use either off their phone or web-based. So I've got both apps um, that can be uh, streamed and just follow along in a class format. And I personally am up at the front and I go, okay, here's what we're doing today. This is about a 25 minute session. Um, here we go. And then I have the same kind of format with the foundation training. Um, you kind of have to fall in love with self-care. You have to have that little bit of selfishness that you will be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better grandparent, the healthier and happier you are. And at, uh, when I do an interview with, with some of my experts, uh, I always ask them, like, what is freedom to you? And one of the smartest people that I know is Stacy Sims, Dr. Stacy Sims. Um, I just did a chat with her last night. And when I asked her that question, I said, Stacy, what is freedom to you? and for you. And she said, riding my bike. I want to ride my bike forever. That is my therapy. That is my health. That is my happiness. And, it, and when I can't ride my bike, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So that's, you have to prioritize your health and yourself before all, other, all others. And then you can be at your very best. That's fabulous. Thank you. Uh, so that our audience who wants to follow up on your offer can get in touch with yeah. you or find more information about you, uh, where should they look? Well, let's make a code. You and I can get together and we'll make a code for your audience specifically so I can give them either 30 days free or a nice discount or something like that. So we want to take care of them. But my website is ecfitstrength.com and everything lives there. So all my social media is ecfitstrength. Um, you can see, follow me on the Instagram. I'm, I'm pretty active on social media because I love sharing uh, exercises and pictures. And I think it's beautiful to watch humans move. So I kind of dig that. So ecfitstrength.com is kind of where everything lives and you can find everything there. Absolutely. And we'll put all of this into the show notes so people can follow up there as well. Aaron, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to share with us? Uh, you've given us so much. Oh, I just want to say thank you. You know, this is our opportunity to share. And this is with, without people like you getting out and taking risks. We don't we don't know anything. All we know is what we read in a magazine. So so thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion with Aaron Carson of EC Fit about strength training for the older endurance athlete. Be sure to check out Aaron's website, ecfitstrength.com and her app on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Search for EC Fit On Demand. It is full of fantastic training and recovery videos. The special code for Wise Athletes is in the show notes. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us questions to address on our podcast, see all of our episodes, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Glenn and I will be back soon with more useful information.